So I'm not sure how many of you guys shop online or, or, or buy technology online. Probably majority of those who are either listening or here in the, in the house, you, you buy things and you, before you buy though, you already have in your mind what you're looking for, right? You already know kind of what you're thinking that you want, whether it be the new AirPods, whether it be a new tablet or a new phone. You're looking at specs, you're doing all the research, all the things you're, you're, you're thinking that you want, you're, you're, you're going to the reviews, you're seeing what people are saying about it, but then you're like, okay, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I'm looking for, this is exactly what I'm looking for. It's got the right model, it's got the right price, because that's important too, right? It's got to have the right price. It's going to be compatible with all of my electronics. It's going to be perfect. When I get this thing, it's going to put me over the top. That's what I've been looking for forever. Then you order it. Now you all giddy, right? Get all the butterflies in your stomach, you can't wait. You checking the little Amazon app, I know Siobhan's always on the Amazon app. My, my wife, she's always looking and seeing when, the, when the, uh, the delivery's gonna get there. When is my delivery gonna get there? Like we're in a rush to see when the delivery's gonna get there. So when it comes, right. Sometimes you get a little mad because Amazon actually leaves it out in the open sometimes. Amazon, please start putting it like behind a bush or something so you can kind of help. I shouldn't say Amazon. Marcus edited it, sorry. But no, so when you actually get the, get the package, you're excited still, right? So you go to the package, you open it up, and it was everything you dreamed of. Or it's not everything you dreamed of. Sometimes the pictures could be a little misleading. You see something, you're like, hmm, looked a little newer and a little shinier, you know, online. It doesn't look as good online, but I'm seeing it for the first time. I don't know about it. But you open it up anyway. You plug it up, you play with it. You know, it, it, it feels good, it seems good. That's the, that's the best case scenario. But how many of us have opened something up and it didn't work, right? It was inoperable. It didn't do what you thought it was gonna do. It was defective. So what do you do? You send it to the manufacturer, you might write a little review on Yelp or go to Google and say, hey, what you said you were gonna send me didn't work. It was defective. Send me something new. I thought it was gonna be new, I thought it was gonna work. So you go through the whole paperwork process and you know you send it out and you hopefully it comes back to you and everything works out. But what we're doing as Christians, I know myself, we're operating just like that broken piece of equipment. We have a spirit of defectiveness. So we're thinking we're one way, but in actuality, we're inoperable in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit. So the name of this message or the word that God gave me is, you are not defective. I've only been alive for about 35 years, almost. My birthday being July, so for those who wanna get a brother a birthday gift, I'm accepting all birthday gifts. Um, but in my short time of, of being on this earth, I've been through a few things, and I've, I've, uh, I've made some, some, some terrible decisions, as I'm sure all of us have, right? When you make those kind of decisions that you know you're better than, it can lead you to having a spirit of defectiveness. For me, it was lying. And it was something that's crazy because when I was really, really little, like I would never lie. Like I was like that kid that just couldn't tell a lie. Like 
My mom came in the room one day. I remember my best friend was sitting beside us. And my brother was a tattletale. I don't know why he used to always kind of have it out for me. It was like he was an older brother at that. I guess he just wanted me to look bad and he looked good. It was kind of strange. Um, but I love you, brother, you listening. But uh, my, my mother came in the room one day and my best friend was sitting there and said, Jamal, are you saying curse words? I'm like, yeah. And my best friend looked at me when she left. I was like, dude, why didn't you just lie? It's like, cause I don't lie. Like, why would I do that? Why would I just tell the truth? Sad, sadly though, as I got older, I started lying. And, and the more you do something like that, the more it could become part of your personality. And the more you do something that goes against the will of God and what God designed you for, it could become innate. Innate means natural, right? It becomes like it's a part of who you are. So that's part of my quote unquote defect or default. And then I became a manipulator. So we're talking about lying along with fast talking people. And then I did it to the people that I loved the most. So I was a liar and a manipulator. But because, because I didn't really feel like it was me, I was made like this. I was designed this way. So I became defective. That was the spirit that I, that I had in my mind. That was the thought I had in my mind. Like, I know, I know God, but you know, this is how I'm designed. Or I was sarcastic or, or I had attitude. So I'm a liar, I'm a manipulator, and I did a whole lot of other things that you couldn't even imagine. Or maybe some of you guys have actually been through some of those things I'm talking about that you could imagine. But I'm here to tell you guys, the enemy is a liar. You are not defective. Defective means that you feel like you are broken beyond repair. Like you don't really have what it takes. Like you think your special isn't special enough. You feel like whatever you've done is all that you're gonna be. And that's not true. I'm here to tell you right now, guys, you are not defective. But there might be some reasons or some things that you've done or experienced to lead you to believe that you are. And we're gonna talk about those tonight, amen? So guys, you are not defective, but you may be defiant. When I think of defiance, I think back to what my dad used to always say. What do you say, a hard head makes a soft what? A soft bottom, right? Right? Everybody got that. I know I got it all the time. I was one of those kids. Like, my dad used to touch me every day, and I don't mean in a loving way. He used to hug me and give me all that stuff, but that brother used to tear me up, and I needed every lick of it. But I'm here to tell you guys, when it comes to God, a hard head will give you a hard heart. There's no communion with God with a hard heart. And when I think of, like, a hardened heart or someone that's defiant, I think of um, Saul when he was about to go to war with the Philistines. And there was a prophet there named Samuel. I mean, Samuel was like Saul's guy. Or should I say Saul was Samuel's guy. You know, he was the one that anointed Saul because he, he heard from God, that's Samuel that is. He's the one that actually told Saul like, you are gonna be a great king. God is gonna give you many victories. I just need you to follow the path of what God has you on. And on this particular occasion, and Saul was always kind of he started kind of tip, you know, tiptoeing up to that point. 
of being obedient slightly, being disobedient. But in this particular case, Saul just had to wait for seven days until Samuel came back to offer a burnt offering for the Lord for the victory over the Philistines. Seven days. Saul's like, oh, I got this. Seven days? Ain't no problem, man. Seven days? I got it. No problem. Seven days, right? Hey, Samuel, seven days? Seven days? All right, cool. I got it. I got it. On the second, when that seventh day came and passed, on the second, Saul freaked out. Lost everything. He was like, oh my God, I don't know what we're going to do. They're going to they gonna battle against us. We're going to lose this war. What shall I do? I know Samuel told me to wait. I know God told me to wait. I know the Holy Spirit is telling me to wait. I know the Word is telling me to wait. Now I'm going to go ahead and do it myself, my way. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to put my hands on it. I'm going to manipulate the situation. Manipulate, right? That's the first three letters of the Word. Man, your hands are on it. Saul was like, I'm just going to put my hands on it. Might as well touch it. Let's see what happens. So what does he do? He offers the sacrifice. He, he offers the burnt offering that Saul taught him to wait for, or that Samuel rather told him to wait for. And, and what I want to I read you guys the account of actually what it sounded like when we try to like tell God why we did something we shouldn't have done. You guys ever been there before? I know I've done that many a times. No, God, I, I did it because, you know, I kind of had to do it because I wasn't sure if you was going to do what you said. You promised me you was going to. We start sounding all kinds of ridiculous. Saul did the exact same thing, and I'm going to read it for you. Because when I read it, I was just like blown. Like, you really said this? Like, you said this to Samuel? And I can only imagine how Samuel was looking at him. Like a disappointed father or disappointed mother after your son or daughter does something you knew they had no business doing. That's how God's looking at us as well. Let's take a look at it real quick. He tries to justify his defiance. It's crazy. So First uh, Samuel 13, 10, 14. It's a lot, so you don't have to turn, so I'm going to read it for you. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Of course, because God is on time. As soon as he was done. Now, again, Samuel told him to wait seven days. If God tells you to wait seven days, wait 70. Don't shortchange God. Allow him to do what he said he was going to do. Because Samuel came back seven days, but it might have been seven days with, I don't know. Yeah, it could have been afternoon. You doing an offering in the morning. Right. You rushing the offering. Said he going to do it. He going to do it. Let him work. Wait patiently, says the Lord. Psalms 46.10. That's the nugget. Real quick. All right. So just as Saul was finished with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? Like, dude, what are you doing? Samuel was probably like, bro, like, like, I just needed you to wait. Like, the victory was yours. You are already king. God has already taken you through the battles. God has already given you victories. And you sell it out for what? For a quick, ah, I just put my hands on, ah, I could do it. Ah, I didn't, I didn't really need no help. But you needed help for the other ones, didn't you? You waited patiently for the other ones, though, didn't you? All it takes is one moment of disobedience, one moment of defiance. How many chances are you on? I'm on like 15, 2,500. Maybe not that many, but you know what I'm saying. 
Let's finish. I'm sorry. So, uh, what is this you have done? Saul replied. I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, he's not even letting this dude talk back to him. Like, he's rambling right now. I saw my men scattering for me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to, mic to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. Again, Samuel hasn't even spoke to this guy yet. So I felt compelled. You felt compelled? You felt compelled? Your feelings told you to do something? But what did I say, says the Lord? What did I want you to do, says the Lord? And the victory was already yours. You just had to wait for it. So I felt compelled to offer you the burnt offering myself before you came. Why would we do anything before God comes? He said he is before us. So why are we trying to go before him? Hold on. There's some much. There's some more. I'm going to try to calm down real quick because I'm, I'm, I'm hype right now. I'm sorry. Woo! How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. How crazy. Why would you? Bruh. Seriously? Really? Add a, add a, add a sin in a minute. Whatever you want. Put a, choose one. OMG, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, ooh, had you kept it, could you imagine what Saul felt like when he heard, had you kept it? Because he, he probably didn't know what was going to come, but he probably had a good idea. Had you kept it, you moved too quick. You didn't wait on me. I gave you the command. You put your hands on it. You manipulated the situation. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Forever. Reminds me of Sandlot. Forever, forever, forever. Forever, y'all. And we sold it out so we can just do what? Get a quick victory? So you're selling your forever kingdom for a quick win. This is a war, not a battle. This is chess, not checkers. Okay, hold on. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. The moment Saul became disobedient, he was demoted immediately. All it takes is a moment of defiance to have your butt demoted. No matter how high you are, because that fall is hard. Trust me, been there, done it. Is it worth it? Is it worth getting a quick win to be demoted? By God. I ain't talking about no regular boss, y'all. I ain't talking about no manager, no supervisor, no director. We're talking about the God told you to wait for him 
to offer a burnt offering for a victory in a battle that was already won. Y'all guys understand what I'm saying? And you put your hands on it and you lost everything forever. God. When God gave me this word, honestly, guys, this was not the word he gave me. Like, literally, I was working on something probably about as soon as we, we found out we were going to be presenting on Fast Week. And God, like, what, five, four, day, four days ago, five days ago, said, no, nah, you're not doing that. You're doing this. So this is a word that's really for me. And I, I'm praying that you guys are able to receive something from this. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. Never allow your panic to be greater than your purpose. Never allow your panic to become greater than your purpose. Glory to God. You are not defective. You have diverted. So I guess maybe a few weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we were driving. I'm not sure where we were even going. We were going somewhere. Um, but uh, we were riding in my wife's car. I'm not sure if I, I can use you real quick. You don't mind? I love you so much. I'm going to do it anyway. I know it's fine. It's fine. I'll pay for it later. We were driving in the car. She was driving. And um, I was looking at my phone. I might have been either reading the word or ESPN. It's probably the only two, that's two things I do on my phone. Hopefully it was the word in Jesus' name. I'm probably sure it was because of what happened next. Before I know it, we are off the road. Yeah. We are off the road for like at least it felt like 20 seconds, but I'm sure it was probably quicker than that. But when you got off the road, it wasn't as comfy or as safe feeling as it once felt. We were on the road and then we were off the road. Well, see what had happened was what she told me. Well, she had... I guess she was messing with a light or something. Something happened quick. We all been there, guys. Don't act like y'all ain't been off the road before. Okay, let's just, let's keep it hot for a second. So we are on the road, then we're off the road. And it got kind of scary, you know. And then before I knew it, I'm like, well, babe, you're on the road. She's like, well, I don't want to overcorrect. I'm like, well, you need to correct something <laughs> quick. Because if you don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to be in front of us. I don't know what we're going to hit. And before you know it, it was like, bro, and it, you know, bounce a little bit. Y'all know that feeling. I mean, that thing scared, that thing scared the mess out of me. Yeah. The boys in the back like, wee! Like, this ain't no roller coaster, man. This is not a game, this is real life. You know what I'm saying? I'm about to pull the wheel, like, baby, come on now. What are you doing? I love you, God, oh my Jesus. And you know, I love you so much. But she was like, oh my God, I broke the car. I broke the car. I broke the car. And then, but nah, but for real, I, you know, I kept it, I kept it real cross. Like, baby, you good? We back on the road now. No worries. You know, and then, and then, <laughs> heart beating faster than mud, armpits itching, scalp tight. You know, I got a body, so I'm sweating. But, <laughs> but now, nah, but then we, we get back on the road, everything's cool. And then we hear like a click, 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 click. And I'm like, that's probably nothing but like some debris or something in the car, you dragging something. She's like, no, something's wrong with the car. I broke the car. <laughs> but that car wasn't meant to go off road. That car was meant that car was meant to stay where it was on the road. So when you go off road, something that was perfectly made, perfectly driven, 
could become a spirit of defectiveness. So you think it's defective, right? But it was the road that we were on that was defective. Wow. It was the road. Glory to God. It was the road that we were on that was bumpy, that was rocky. We were good. We were chilling. I was reading the word. There was, I was doing a Bible story. That's why God saved us. I was doing a Bible story in Jesus' name. I was doing a Bible story with my boys. There it is. We was doing a Bible story. So I'm like, what's all on ESPN? Like, I hope I wasn't on ESPN. I was doing a Bible story. But we, were, but we weren't meant to be off-road. You are not meant to go off God's path for your life. Okay? So, so when I think about... <laughs> when I think about people that have diverted, I think about King Solomon. We're talking about one of the, wise, the wisest man to ever live, first and foremost. The wisest man had everything. And because he chose wisdom, God said, now I'm going to give you long life and wealth. Have it. Because you didn't ask for that. So usually when we ask for something, God, okay, I'll just give you that then. But when you ask for something that humbles yourself before the Lord, he'll give you so much more. That wouldn't even want this message. That's a different message. That's something different. That didn't even go with this, really. But, but he was the wisest man to ever live. <laughs> amen, amen. But, but because he allowed lust to cloud him, which led to an obsession of women, it led to him worshiping idols, right? So even though he had wisdom from God, it didn't change the fact that he had choice and free will to make his own decisions. Wisdom will allow you to have quick recognition, it'll allow you to, to impart, allow you to have some, something to say that's meaningful for people that need it, but it won't change you unless you actually take root of what God has for you. Solomon lost sight of that. He diverted from the path that God had him on. All right? And because of this, it led God to never let another descendant of David to rule over all of Israel. So because of his mistake, it affected all of his generations. All of them. So what are you affecting? What seeds are you sowing in your generations? I know the seeds that I was sowing in my generations. I was like, I got to stop this now. The life I was living was going to kill everybody. Not just hurt, not just made, not the injured. Kill everybody. Is it worth it? Stay on the path that God has you on. And if you're not on that path, get on the path. You can get there. It's not too late. Man, I'm going to tell you something. If I, man, I'm going to tell you something. Mm. If I can get there, any of us can get there. If Paul can get there, Paul persecuted Christians. Paul killed Christians. If Paul can get there, any of us can get there. All right, guys, so 1 Kings 11, 11, 13. 1 Kings 11, 11, 13. 11, 11. We're going to read more about Solomon. This week, 1 Kings 11, 1 Kings 11, 11. Just turn there for me. That's where we got to start. <laughs> Let's just start there, and then we'll get to the rest. I'm, so I'm really hyped right now. I'm just trying to calm down. Just, okay. I'm just really excited for what God is doing. Uh, since you have not kept my covenant... And have disobeyed my decrees. That's what God is telling O Solomon. I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. 
So not only will you lose everything, I'm going to give it to someone that you probably felt like you were better than. I'm going to give it to somebody that don't even deserve it a little bit. But guess what? Because there were servants, they were probably serving you, which means they probably had a spirit of humility and probably had a heart for people. I'm going to give it to that person because that person is more deserving than your corrupt behind. Wow. Right? So when you fall, people that you fall past are going to rise up. Okay. Glory to God. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe. You get a morsel. You get a crumb. Who's good with a crumb in here? How can a crumb satisfy you? How's that taste? Here's a crumb for your son. <laughs> and even so, when I take away the entire kingdom, I will let him be the king of one tribe for the sake of my servant, David. So David's the reason why everybody kind of held on to a little something. He was so righteous and his heart was so set on God. He was able to save people. But unfortunately, it was still forfeited by those who came after him. So Proverbs 4, 25, 27. I'm going to give you guys a little more scripture than I usually do. I know I kind of sometimes just go, but I'm going to give you some scripture. God told me to, to, to give you some word and I feel like um, it's needed. So quickly go to 4, 25, 27. Proverbs 4, 25, 27. It says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. If we just do this, like if we don't know anything about the Bible, right? Like we just, this is the only scripture we have to eat on. If we just do this, we are good. But because we take something that's not supposed to be what it's on and we divert from the path that God has for us, we end up in destruction. Leaving the path means leaving the presence. Staying on the path means reaching the palace. Stop trading in your place for the palace for a quickie. Yeah, I said it, quickie. Temporary pleasure for eternal cataclysmic consequences. Turning in your temporary pleasure for eternal consequences. Okay? You are not defective. You have been deceived. You are not defective. You have been deceived. The world lies to us every day but it's up to us to believe it or not. Y'all know Satan, he's the master of lies and deceit and he creates things all in your mind and has you thinking one thing where, where it's not even true at all. But one of the lies that he tells us is that following God's word limits us or, or, or it keeps us from something. But guys, the word of God is not trying to prevent us. He's trying to protect us. So stop running from God, the one that's trying to shield you from all the craziness in your life and the things around you, when he's actually trying to protect you, not prevent you. He's trying to protect us from destruction. But because destruction is something that you can't avoid, unfortunately, we probably won't be able to avoid disaster. I think we kind of get the two confused. 
when we're going through a storm, we're going through a situation in our life, we think it's the worst thing ever. But there's a difference between destruction and disaster. Destruction means eternal death, fire. Disaster means I'm going through something. I'm going through a trial. I'm going through something that's uncomfortable. I'm going through a season in my life that doesn't seem favorable. But you have the word of God that has your back. You have God that has your back. You have the Holy Spirit that has your back. And you have Christ that's mediating on your behalf that has your back. So you good even in the season of your disaster. But don't fall for the path of destruction. Amen? Matthew 7, 13, 14. Matthew 7, 13, 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. That mean that thing kind of slim, huh? Narrow mean kind of skinny. Means it's the it's the, the probably the road least traveled. Little little glimmer. But that's what we gotta get to. We gotta shrink ourselves. Like that movie Downsizing. You already see that movie? It's kind of silly. But that's what we got to do. We got to shrink ourselves to get through that narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. That means everything else could get you in trouble. We follow these instructions. We follow that Holy Spirit that's speaking to us on a daily basis. We're going to be safe. Know about y'all, but I want to be safe. Amen. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. A lot of people. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. So when difficult finds you, what do you find? What do you rest in when things get difficult, when that weight gets on you, when that pressure starts applying itself? Where do you do? Where do you go? Where do you hide? Where do you bury your face? Where do you put your mind? Where's your heart? Because when you find that it's God and we must become dependent on God, that's the, that's the only thing that's going to be able to set us free. That's the only thing that's going to be able to truly help us in our time of difficulty. Amen? Another lie the enemy tells us is that we can't change. You are your mistakes. So we go to um, the little carnivals that come. Uh, here in Charlotte, and the kids go through like the little, uh, the the fun houses, right? The fun house, and when you go through the fun house, you you'll you guys probably been maybe not here, but in different areas, you've been through a fun house before. Raise your hand, been through been through a fun house before. All right, amen, good. Didn't know I was talking to people that ain't never been to a fun house before. Okay, so in the fun house, you have these things called fun house mirrors, right? So when you look at a fun house mirror, it's an image of you, but it's distorted. Right. So it looks a little strange. It looks a little different than what you thought it would look like because you know what you look like. Right. Raise your hand. We all know what we look like. Right. We think we do. Love it. I'm going to get there. So when you look at a fun house mirror, it's distorted image of what you are. That's what the enemy wants you to believe you are. He wants you to believe you're that fun house image. But we have to make sure we shatter that glass. Because God is the author of everything that we do, and we're made in his image. How are we going to be made in God's image, but be having a big old head like this, your knee over here, your face all shifted? Fun house mirrors are not real. Stop looking at them. Stop looking at the fun house mirror. 
If you find yourself like myself, because I used to have a spirit of defectiveness and I'm still battling through it right now as we speak, when that thought comes to my mind that I'm looking at a funhouse mirror, I say, God, please take this away from me now. I'm casting down all imaginations that exalt itself against you and I bring it to the obedience of Jesus Christ immediately. Funhouse mirrors are not real. They are a depiction of what the enemy wants to put in your, in your, in your head. So the cure for stripping of the spirit of defective thinking starts with the decision to become dependent on God for our validation through what he says we are. Yeah, absolutely. The cure for stripping away the spirit of defective thinking starts with a decision to become dependent on God for our validation through what he says we are. So who wants to know what God says we are to him? Who wants to know that? Everybody's hands is raised in the house. Amen. You are valuable. Woo! You are valuable. I'm going to tell you why I know you're valuable. Check it out. I am the creator, and you are my creation. I breathe into your nostrils the breath of life, Genesis 2-7. I created you in my own image, Genesis 1-27. My eye saw your unformed substance, Psalm 139-16. I knit you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139-13. I know the number of your hairs in your head, and before a word is on your tongue, I know it, Matthew 10-30. Psalm 139-4. You are fearfully and wonderfully mad, says the Lord, Psalm 139-14. That's how I know you're valuable. Value is in the eyes of the maker, not in the eyes of the maid. Value is in the eyes of the maker, not in the value of the eyes of the maid. It doesn't matter what people have said you are, what you say you are, how long you've been that way, what perpetuates it, how long it's going to take for you to change. None of that matters. Stop justifying our flawed behavior and start understanding that we are serving a perfect God, a flawless God. Now, we're going to make mistakes, right? I'm not perfect, man. Make mistakes. I'm not perfect. Okay, me too. Make mistakes. We all make mistakes, and it's okay. As long as you don't allow that mistake to become your misery. Don't become a slave to your misery. Romans 3.23. Real quick. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. But that shouldn't stop our pursuit to be like Christ every day. Bottom line is, God, the one you worship, pray to, lean on, gain wisdom from, heals you, delivers you, says you are valuable. Amen? You are new in him. I'm going to tell you why I know. In my eyes, you are a brand new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Sin is no longer your master, for you died to sin, and you are now alive to me. Romans 6, 11. You are finally free from the slavery of sin and death. There is now no condemnation for you. Romans 8, 1, 2. All sins are forgiven. John 1, 9. All your, righteous, un, all your unrighteousness has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1, 7, 9. You are now righteous in my sight and very righteous for the perfect son. Romans 4 or 5. Our newness begins as soon as we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. But it's up to us to remain new or we can choose to become refurbished. So are you walking around refurbished? Or are we new Christians? I just want to make sure. Which one are we? You guys do know what refurbished means, right? Right. So you send something back or they send something back to the manufacturer and they do something to make it operable so it seems new. But it's not new because it's made from the old materials. Yeah. 
God is a creator. He is not going to take something old and make something new out of the old materials. He's going to wipe that stuff away and make you something completely new and fresh. That's what God wants for you tonight. That's what God wants for your life. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you've done, what people say you are, what you labeled yourself, what your mom and your dad, or your uncle, or your auntie, or your cousin said you are, it doesn't matter because God says you are valuable and you are new in him. You have God's spirit. You want to know how I know? <laughs> you not only have a new father, but also a new family of brothers and sisters. Luke 8, 21. You are now part of the people of God. 1 Peter 2, 9. And together the life you now live is by faith in my son. Galatians 2, 20. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Hebrews 12, 2. Christ is in you by my spirit. And you are in Christ, John 15, 5. We have to start realizing we have the spirit of God in us and stop dressing up like God like it's Halloween every day. Costume partying. Stop looking like God. Why don't you try to be like God? Of God's spirit. Don't put on God because it's convenient for the crowd or for the occasion or for the Sunday message or for the Wednesday service. Let's start putting some of this stuff that's in here that's living in the word inside of us and let's see what happens. Let's just see what happens for, you know, for kicks, I guess. Or fulfillment, whichever. Whichever's, whichever's your tea. All right. All right, I'm getting to my time, guys. Give me a second. All right, God only makes fruit-bearing creations, not desolation. He's not the author of an incomplete book or a book full of grammatical errors He's the author of redemption and sovereignty. He's not the craftsman of a flawed faith. He's the craftsman of complete and unwavering faith. When we get melted down during our fire tests, we go from copper to gold. But how many of us are getting burnt down and returning back as copper? Don't be copper. Okay. I want to leave you guys with this scripture. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Real fast, getting to my time. Isaiah 46, 9. When I did this, I really thought it was going to be like 20 minutes. I just, Holy Spirit is working. All right, remember, <laughs> remember the former things of old. This is important. I want you guys to really get this. Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the, th the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall, not, shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. My question for you all is, when, when, are you, when are you ready to stop claiming your life to be defective or have a spirit of defectiveness and start becoming effective? Do you guys know the difference between defective and effective? Effective means successful in producing a desired or intended result. They're kind of similar to rhyme, right? Just drop, you know, drop the, drop the E, drop the D, add the E, add an F. Effective. So it's time to become effective. It starts with your complete dependence on the things of God. If you are crucified with Christ, we can't choose which part of us we offer up. We can't choose to, you know, uh, be kind, but still have a lack of self-control. We can't choose to, to feel like we are, are no longer procrastinators, but then addicted to porn. 
right? We have to make sure we're completely offered up everything that we have. Because if we offer everything we have, God has already said we can have all that he has. That's the good news. And I pray you guys are able to receive that this evening. So offer your entire self, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Thank you.